What's going on, trail runners? How are you today? Did you have a good weekend? Put in some good long runs? Maybe you did a hard workout in the middle of the week. Uh, in any case, that uh, that hard run, those long runs, they're going to go somewhere. Maybe you recorded them on your watch and they just get uploaded to you know the watch's cloud. Maybe they go to Strava. Or maybe if you're one of our athletes, they go onto a platform called Training Peaks, which is what we use to analyze all of our athletes data that is generated from their wrist-based GPS monitor or their heart rate monitor or even a power meter that's actually starting to come out in the running space. And so what I did this week is I traveled up to Boulder, Colorado to the home offices of Training Peaks and I met with their co-founder Dirk Friel who I've known for a very long time and uh, during that time I've known him we've been Everything from competitors in the marketplace to friends to colleagues to frenemies uh, in the coaching endurance space as well. And irrespective of, of all of those labels, I've always had a great deal amount of respect uh, for what Dirk and his team has done there. They really have been one of the, the OGs of the remote-based endurance coaching space, and they just develop incredible uh, technologies with very with a very forward-thinking process that really, first and foremost, focuses on putting the coach at the centerpiece of the relationship. They just make cool shit for coaches, and I like using their and I like using their products. So, what I wanted to do is to bring him on the Coopcast and really discuss what the state of coaching is, what the state of endurance coaching is take a little bit of a trip down memory memory lane to how all of this stuff started and then talk about what we see for the future of coaching. And what I always find illuminating whenever I talk to these people is, and especially people with the experience that, that Dirk has, is they just have a keen focus on developing things that they can put in front of coaches that will then have an impact on their coaching practice and will simply make their athletes better. I just love the fact that they're completely centered around making coaches better so they can make their, uh, so that they can make their athletes better. Um, some of you might recognize the last name Friel. Joe is the son, sorry, Dirk is the son of Joe Friel of the cyclist training Bible, the triathlons, uh, the triathletes training Bible. <clears throat> and, a number of other different books that are quite ubiquitous and prevalent in the endurance coaching space. And so much so that I patterned a lot of what I did with the book that I wrote around all the things that uh, Joe has written. And he's just had a tremendous influence uh, on me personally as a coach, as well as he has had an influence on a ton of other coaches and uh, other athletes. I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention that at times this conversation is going to feel like a, it's going to feel like a little bit of an advertisement. It's going to feel like a little bit of a plug for training peaks. And I want to be clear that I'm a customer of training peaks. I buy their products and I think that it is worth every single dime that, uh, that I pay every month to, uh, for for their services, for their services of using their platform with my coaching business and uh, uh, with uh, uh, with all of our athletes, and I wouldn't spend that money every single month if I didn't think it was worth it. So there are, there is no financial entanglement within this conversation at all. I'm a pure customer, just like any other customer. I just really like what they do, and I really like the perspective that Dirk brings to the table whenever we talk endurance sports. So with that being said, and without any further ado, here we go. Here's my conversation with Training Peaks co-founder and chief evangelist. That's his official title. Training Peaks co-founder, Dirk Friel. Did you guys track that here? Did you guys do any of the data for that here? No, really? but you know, it's... People are starting to think, well, what is the 159 for my sport? Right. You right. know, now you're seeing stuff around Ironman. Can we go, you know, sub seven or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. You know, um, oh, we can draft the whole way. Maybe we can do a unique event. And 
you know, so it's kind of spurring a whole new kind of WWF of endurance because <laughs> rules don't matter, <laughs> right, right? Exactly. So that's what sometimes pro sports is, you know, is WWF. You know what? I appreciate that perspective of other endurance sports because if you were just to look at like the running community's response to that, I think what they lose is they lose a lot of that perspective of how other sports look at, a, at an attempt like this 159 and go, oh, shit, we can do something like that. Like yeah. we could do something really cool in triathlon and well, come up with all these crazy, yeah, you know, exactly. and it, it attracts people to the sport. It has adds pizzazz, sparkle to your maybe Drury sport. Most people think of it as, but it's like, oh, wow, that's a spectacle. Let's see if they can break two hours, you know, and all the ins and outs of the science of it that we can learn from and maybe bring into the rest of the, you know, sport, right? Um, but WWF and can be bad too, you know, <laughs> NFL players get suspended for four games for whatever bad product they take, right? Yeah, usually Where, they're know. getting suspended for a minuscule amount of time for like yeah. really heavy stuff, like beating up their girlfriend or wife right. or and whatever. And in that's cycling, another... you can't even look at a needle and that's illegal to have a needle. Or right? your socks are too high. Socks are too high. That's another, uh, yeah, topic. Um, <laughs> But, it, you know, in college, high school football, they're like, oh, he's cramping. Oh, he's got to go into the locker room and get an injection. He'll be back. I know. You know, and they're like, go put a needle in his arm and yeah. help him out. But yeah. can't do that in cycling. No. You know, that's illegal. That's yeah. probably a, at least a six-month ban there, maybe more, you yeah. know. It's crazy. So it's, it is all over the map. Yeah. And a lot of uh, sports fans that, like, cross from endurance into the league sports and league sports and endurance sports, they have that perspective. And unfortunately, in cycling, triathlon, and running, a lot of the audience is really insular, right? And so their, yeah. their view of competition in sports is completely related to marathon running or right. Ironman triathlon or, you know, ultra running kind of in my case or whatever. And I think a lot of times that some of that perspective gets lost. Yeah. No, it was great to see, you know, where was it? Austria? What town? Vienna? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the crowds that came out. Oh, like awesome. it was just so cool. It's and awesome. it was it was a weather window, yep. so you didn't really know when. And then, but they were lined up to have live TV whenever yep. they went, you know, and said go. So that was a yeah, really, really yeah, cool event. Wait, so, sp- speaking of that relative event, has that was that ever on your radar? Like, kind of in the early days of Training Peaks, like having these types of performances that everybody's made the analogy analogy to like Roger Bannister's sub four minute mile and things like that, but. You guys are a performance and an athlete and a coach centric company. Yeah. Has that ever or or has that ever really popped up on your radar, these, you know, WWE types of, you know, spectacles, so to speak? Huh. No. Never really <laughs> thought that far out. You know, it was more about helping coaches build their business and at every level, you know, certainly from the beginning we had the Tour de France stars, the the Olympians and all that. So you're you're seeing records at that level. And then we we brought Best Bike Split in, you mm-hmm. know, and that was five years ago where we acquired Best Bike Split. And that's a lot of what they were doing was, you know, prediction, modeling, right. they still do. And, but it started at the elite levels and they were predicting Tour de France finish times, you know, and who would place on the podium in, in tomorrow's time trial. And they would publish that before the race would yeah, actually happen crazy. to prove like, hey, we can actually do this. Now we bring that down. So we... I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we learn at the pinnacle of the sport and then we try and democratize it and bring it down. We don't do one-off software for teams um, or national governing bodies. Everybody knows if they contribute into you know our software development, which we you know listen to the customer base and, and you know try and build for them, um, that's going to benefit everybody else on on the uh, on the platform. So yeah, trying to democratize those great ideas and bring them out to everybody that we can all learn no matter at what age, you know, or level of the sport, there's something to learn that, and it's trickle down effect like F1, right? Down to your local Toyota. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you and I, we've seen the whole transition, right? I was thinking about this on the car ride up here. Like we've been in the same industry and the same business for almost 20 years together. Yeah. And that relationship has like just like any other relationship evolve where at one point we were like 
direct competitors, right? We were building software. Mm-hmm. I was help. I can't say I was building software because I'm definitely not a software person, but I would help our software engineers design, you know, what was initially our first few coaching tools, right. you know, where coaches would kind of work with athletes. And then eventually we became a customer of Training Peaks. Like we were looking at that yep. trajectory saying this is just a better, you know, tool and, you know, tech kind of kind of technology to use. And like now, like we're just colleagues where we're kind of just doing the same thing, just in different spaces. It's been, it's just, I guess what I'm saying is just been really cool to see that transition. I had that same story play out internally. (laughs) You know, I was a full-time coach with my father, family business was coaching. Um, and early on I'm like, dad, why are we using the fax machine? You know, and (laughs) I have 30 emails a day with, 50 different, you know, attachments to them of .hrm, .csv, .srm, you know, therefore I have to open up five different software platforms. Plus I have to print out the facts and I have to three hole punch it. And so, you know, I was like, well, now am I, I have to solve for technology. You know, that was like where I went to, I was like, I love being coached, but I really got to figure out this data collection problem that we have because it's not only horrible for me as the coach, but it's, kind of bad for the client too. You know, can we have one kind of place to house it all um, to make a better quality service out to the athletes? And so, you know, when I realized that, I I really kind of jumped at that opportunity and saw the opportunity to to build more of the technology solution Mm -hmm. because there's nothing out there at the time. Right, right. Um, So I just consciously, you know, early on in Ah, 99 is when we kicked off. So 20 years ago, um, it was September 99 that I came to my father with the idea, uh, Joe Friel. And then, you know, obviously he's not a software developer. He's a coach and hey, that's a great idea. Go try and figure that out for us. (laughs) Uh, You know, the only place I had to turn was luckily the best man of my wedding, Gear Fisher, was a web developer. Uh, I had a day job and I, he was living up near Vail at the time. I went up and had a beer with him and, it's called, there's a pub up there called the George and gears first real name is George. So it's a, it's a special place in our hearts, the George pub in Vail. Um, that's where I pitched him on the idea. And he was like, yeah, let's try and do this, you know? And at the beginning, it was to solve our needs yeah. within our coaching business of, at the time it was called ultra fit associates. Um, and got that kind of off the ground in early 2000, for our own use with about 30 clients. But then we saw no other coach had such a platform. So we started to reach out to other coaches to see if they wanted to, you know, use the same platform. And luckily they, they saw value in it and start became our first customers were coaches. And so it's kind of like taken off from there. And, you know, my, my primary point there is, is that, you know, could you be a coaching company and a technology company at the same time? Yeah. And that was the early beginnings of SaaS and we've never taken an ad dollar. It's always been, you know, we say no every week to advertising and for 20 years we've said no and it's more about pay for service. So it's been a fun, yeah, really fun ride, but hopefully we enable the, the, the coaching businesses, the experts, you know, in the field to become more efficient. At well, the end of the day. yeah, and, and I have that same experience, right? Because we were running along the same path for maybe a decade mm-hmm. or so. And I remember when you guys were the only player in the whole marketplace, right? I mean, you guys did it first. You had first mover position. That's a pretty prototypical uh, small business story, right? Where you have an idea and it's the only, you know, kind of thing that exists, you know, in in the marketplace. But now there are other players that are starting to emerge. I mean, you have the ones that are, you know, endemic to the uh, uh, to the devices themselves, whether it's Garmin Connect or Sunto or whatever. And there are also other companies that are similar to you guys that are that that are just trying to carve their way out in a kind of in in the same marketplace, whether it's across all endurance sports or whether it's across the strength and conditioning field or whether it's across, you know, one, one of the endurance sports like running or things like that. Now that, you know, training peaks is 20 years old. How's that value proposition changed from the beginning where you guys are the only one doing it. So there's <laughs> your value proposition right there to now where it's like, you guys have to look at the space and go, okay, how do we differentiate ourselves amongst everybody? Well, our actual value prop has not changed at all for 20 years. It's about helping coaches build their business, you know, at the end of the day, 
helping people learn a new skill through deliberate practice is really our mission um, within the business. Um, so that value prop is not changed at all throughout the course of the 20 years. You know, we have to stay on, on top of, you know, the coach has to rely on our software and their business relies on our software. So building that trust is number one and knowing that we're going to be compatible with the next device that comes on the market, you know, working with those partners, you know, syncing to Zwift or whatever it is, you know, the, the market's played out where it's an open ecosystem and we've definitely been that open player from the very beginning. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, what we, try and stay on top of every single day. Your, your end users, you, you have an interesting end user because you have end users that are coaches, right? That yep. use your platform across their coaching business. But you also have end users that are the athletes themselves. Yes. They're either guiding their own training process or they just want to use it as, as a training log or whatever. Do you communicate you know, what the advantage is in training peaks differently to those two groups? Um, at the end of the day, we communicate get expert instruction. And if you're a coach, you are the expert. Therefore, we're working on your behalf to try and sell your, you know, your service into the self-coached athlete crowd. Um, so, you know, they, I guess it, it, they kind of just overlap in the same value prop, expert instruction. And when we communicate to athletes that are not coached, we we try and communicate the value of getting that expert advice. Now that might be in a passive manner, you know, an active manner of expert instruction is I have my coach one-on-one. -on -one, I can call him anytime I want paying hundreds of dollars a month and getting great premium service. That's a real active, you know, um, proactive relationship. But then you have a passive expert instruction um, value prop that we have where you can simply buy a training plan. Um, you can even get, you know, an article for free on our, on our blog to help you out. Right. Um, but at, you know, try and get that expert instruction. See, we can prove the value of that because your journey to the event is 99.9%, .9%, you know, of the experience is yeah. actually preparing for the event. So if we're all focused on that one day and making it as, as the best possible experience possible, um, it starts, you know, months out and just trying to hack away at it on your own, you know, you can be successful to a certain level, but really having that expert instruction and that, that independent kind of a mind share, you know, helping you out along the way, um, you'll have a better experience on race day. I've always found that, that coaches, and this seems a little bit self-fulfilling, but, but it's, it's, I say it in all honesty, I always found that, that coaches who aren't leveraging the best types of technology, and in this case, it'd be training peaks, are really selling their own expertise short. And that's what, what I've always tried to communicate within our coaching staff, because we look at it every year, right? We look at all the things out there. How can we deliver coaching? How can we do this? And how right. can we do that? And personally, I spend an inordinate amount of time educating and developing coaches. And when I look at that landscape, I'd go, you know what? All that expertise, or not all of it, but a lot of that expertise would be wasted if you're using inferior tools and, and training peaks, just being one of them, yeah. right? I mean, you could yeah. look at tools of kind of the whole run of yep. show. But all the, a lot of that expertise would be wasted if you're using inferior tools to leverage this great expertise. Yeah, I immediately go to something my father always says, you know, he had an experience in high school where he finally got his eyes checked and he needed glasses <laughs> and he put his glasses on. He's like, why didn't anybody tell me the world looked like this? <laughs> you know, he, he also will relate getting his first power meter. It was like going from a 2d world to a 3d world. Oh, I see the depth behind my heart rate. You know, I can see why that occurs. So no one tool is per se the holy grail, but you don't know what you don't know until you see it. And then you start to connect the dots and, oh, I see how that relates to that and I can get this result. Um, if you stay blinded, then you are just 
more or less guessing, if you will. Yeah. You know, there is certainly the art of coaching, which will never go away. We definitely believe in the human coach. In our lifetime, computers will not replace the coach in terms of having the best preparation possible, but computers can aid the coach and make, at the end of the day, I want to try and make the coach better, faster, smarter in the moment. And we haven't accomplished that yet. We've gone a long ways, yeah. but there is a lot more to be done to empower both coach and athlete. Um, but to make them, you know, better, faster in the moment is how I kind of think of it. You know, the computer can do a lot of calculations for you, compare, you know, this workout to the data set of other people and return to you the best possible way forward for the coach to accept, deny, or edit. Yeah. Well, you remember when the power meter came along, a lot yeah. of that sentiment that the coaches had was just that. The power meter can't replace the coach. Right. It's just another tool to aid it. Yep. And there there was, maybe, I don't know how you would characterize it, but I would characterize it as a significant amount of resistance to athletes using, you know, using that tool. Not, not trivial, meaning just like, you know, 5% of the coaching population, athlete population and things like that. I mean, it was enough to where we had to convince people that this is some this is a this is a this is a tool this is a way to track your training that is valuable and that ultimately you'll perform better with the insights that we gain from this tool yeah. now we take it for granted because it's ubiquitous yeah but I'll, there was a time where it wasn't i'll take that to another surprising level for you we had to convince the power meter manufacturers of that value prop of their own product <laughs> we were the very first place where you could analyze heart rate power within the web interface. I mean, yeah. you know, Garmin didn't do it. Polar didn't do it. You know, we were the first place where you could actually get on any computer in the world and analyze your workout. Um, when we showed that to a power meter manufacturer, uh, it, it was like, yeah, but nobody looks at their data after they ride. <laughs> Literally, it's like what they said. It's like, oh my gosh. Now, you know, we had to try and, you know, now from top down, we had to literally one by one try and convince even coaches it's worth number one, yeah. just getting the tool, whether it be a power meter or heart rate file, whatever, saving the file. That was another hard right. thing to do is just right. save it to totally your right. desktop. And then at the time, there was no Bluetooth syncing, et cetera. You'd have to navigate, find that file, upload it to today's workout. And for two reasons, one, hopefully for your coach to look at it and two, for you to archive it and make sense of it later on. I think within, within training peaks too, we, we think more holistically, you know, it's, it's yeah, today's important, but oftentimes your most important workout is the rust day with <laughs> just like, you know, pedestrian numbers, right. Or a day off, but that is like the most important thing you should do this week or today or whatever, it's more valuable than the hard day. So how does that relate holistically to my goal is five months from now? Am I on track? Because this all plays out in a storyline that's unique to each person. There is no cookie cutter, right? You can yeah. buy a training plan, but training plans are meant for the middle of the bell curve. You might be on either side, right? Um, so yeah, from the beginning, you know, and you know, I often say that power meters really started in the pro level, like Tour de France, let's say. Um, but at that level, at that time in the early 2000s, it was a status symbol. Like, yeah. I've got an SRM on yeah. my bike. It's right. worth $5,000. Right. No, I don't use it. But right. really, you know, I've made it. I'm pro. I have an SRM. And it was a status symbol, yeah. not really a, a tool being used. Um, so, yeah, that took a, took a while to play out. Well, and yeah, you're in, also it took a while for the cost of those to come down to where a consumer, average yep. Joe or average Jane consumer can look at it and go, okay, that's, you know, I pay a grand for a set of wheels. I'm going to pay a grand for a power meter. Yeah. I mean, the same thing can play out, you know, in running, um, you know, just collecting the data. It's not just start, stop and time, you know, it's vertical meters and, you know, and, you know, terrain is different, but collecting all that data, you know, has a lot of value over time. I say, you know, going into your second year of data collection, the data becomes yeah. infinitely more important. You know, year one is like, okay, I'm collecting this. I don't really know. I have a, 
I have data, but what do I compare it to? Well, once you have your peaks, your valleys, when you got sick, when you felt your best, that's when the value can really be the story you should dig into and see why. Um, it may not always play out that way, but it's a nugget, a big nugget of information that you can learn from and try and either replicate or stay away from going forward. I definitely have those in my <laughs> in my history. Well, we try to emphasize that with our coaches because a lot of times when they when they first start with a new athlete or they first start coaching, they don't understand why they need to take so much time being meticulous with gathering the information, not only everything that comes from the device, but also the post-activity comments yeah. and all of that stuff. Because the, because the value that the athlete receives from collecting all of that information isn't really realized until 12 or 18 months down the road or sometimes the second, the second season. And, and it's hard to, or it's easy to lose sight of that in the here and now when you're programming things. Yeah. And it's not all about the numbers game, right? You know, that, how did I feel that subjective is just yeah. as important. Um, I had an athlete that I coached and then, um, he started coaching himself and then he apologized for me <laughs> you know, to me, apologized to me for not providing enough of those post activity comments. It was, I got a lot more data than I did like how you felt. And you know, he <laughs> then saw the value in that when he became a coach. Um, so there's, yeah, there's so much to that soft side of, of, of things as well and how you feel on the recovery I mean, oftentimes your gut yeah. feeling is the number one, no matter what yep. the data says, you know, it's like, I shouldn't push it today. I should only do two efforts and not four. Every time I come up here, I always, I always give uh, Frank or one of your engineers something that I want to get changed, which I'm sure you guys hear, <laughs> we're going to talk about it a little bit. I'm sure you guys hear ad nauseum. The one that I have for you guys today is completely related to that. Yeah. I want the ability to see the post activity comments first in the email that I get uh, as opposed to the hero the, metrics, right? Cause oh, right, right now I get the hero metrics, right. time, power, you know, average pace, blah, 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 blah. Right. And the post activity comments are below that. <laughs> I wish I could <laughs> the flip top. that. So the first thing I see is I felt great today, blah, 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 blah. And then I can look all, at all the numbers because huh. that's okay. it. But that's really more of a reflection to your point and to your athlete's story, right? That's, I prioritize that a whole yeah. lot higher. Right. And that's, that's not, I don't know. Maybe I've been doing that for the five or seven years. I mean, there's a good part of my career where the hero was yeah. the hero metrics, right. right? That you pulled out from it. And now I, I'd say I take a more well, balanced approach. Yeah. The hero tends, you know, you have very few outliers, you know, and you can't read into that one day's right. data, yeah. the, the trend over time. So yeah. How did you feel today? So you, you guys, since coaches, since coaches are a main part of your user base, right? Yeah. And you guys, I would say, have a, a really sophisticated user base as well. And also a very broad user base in terms of experience, who they're working with, how they work with athletes. And I, I have not envied at all whoever is here in this organization that has to take all of that feedback. Yeah and congeal it into what ultimately, you know, shows up in the product. Yeah. Can you just do a quick run through of what that looks like? Like how you guys take that information from the end user and produce whatever new feature that you guys are going to produce down the line. Yeah, it's making bets, <laughs> you know, cause you can't solve it for everybody. Right. So also you have to take into account what the user is asking for as well as what they may not know is in their good interest. You know, people didn't know when we released certain things in the past, like, oh, oh, I didn't know I needed that. You know, mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, so can we do more of those or of like, aha, oh, wow, I never would have thought about that. That really helped me out. So it's that balance of what are they asking for to solve those direct needs, um, balance with where do we want to take the business and solve for bigger issues that are 10 years out, you know? And so, and then balancing that with the resources of where, where we, where we apply, you know, the internal resources. Um, so yeah, we're definitely, you know, have, have done a lot in like R and D research around, you know, trying to make, how can the computer do more of the legwork for the coach is really, we're doing a lot of focus right, right now because a computer can replace a bunch of what the coach currently does 
accounting for the coach's own methodologies. So that's the type of stuff that we're really not being asked for, but we know we got to invest a whole lot into because when we can solve that need for the coach, they're going to be like, ah, thank you so much. I saved 30% of my time. Now I can spend that actually talking to my athletes in person. Now the computer is doing more of the work that I used to do, you know, myself manually. Um, but then there's a, Hey, can you change this and that on the web interface, you know, feedback that we, we take in from, you know, customer support, just social media, kind of bringing into the product managers and kind of groom through, you know, with product management. But you're being more proactive than reactive in your approach. It seems, I think you, yeah, you have to be, if you want to survive and be a long-term viable business, you have to always be thinking way out on the horizon. I mean, the product in my head is 20 years out, you know, (laughs) unfortunately that's the, that's the, uh, part that's frustrating is you can't develop that quickly, you know, overnight. Um, but we're definitely, you know, been putting a lot of effort, you know, into that, um, new stuff that's out there on the horizon that we see empowering coaches and athletes. So what do you say to the coaches out there? And we both know them because we're in the, we're in the same space, right? We have a good finger on the pulse of the entire coaching industry. What do you say to the coaching professionals out there that are still using what you and your dad used 20 years ago, faxes and spreadsheets and Word documents and things like that? Like, what is your reaction to that in this day and age? Well, I know there's still Olympic teams in the United States that are doing that. And we've had conversations just recently with, you know, some of those Olympic teams. And, you know, in, in that realm, it's really hard for them to develop the talent. You know, if we can get you know, all the teenagers today have an iPhone in their pocket. They're hitting start, stop to Strava or whatever it might be, right? They're collecting the data. But if you are relying on spreadsheets and you're a national team coach that is going to interact with that athlete, you know, five years from now, are you going to be able to take advantage of that history that that athlete actually has been developing? But if you're stuck in your spreadsheet, how do you mine that? Let alone if an athlete does develop, they're going to migrate from one coach to the next. How transferable are those spreadsheets? You know, whereas if you have a database to ping and dive into, um, it helps develop that athlete. And it, it doesn't have to be a young athlete. You could be 55 years old, starting to run. Um, you're going to develop and you, you, you might start with a training plan and collect the data. But then if you go to a coach that is now on spreadsheets that can't access that data, was it was all for naught, right? Right. So trying to make it, you know, the value is in in that data mining it. You can have your own methodologies um, and systems, you know, that can lie on top of that that data. Um, so yeah, that's you know, I, I just kind of see it as being able to leverage, you know, the data, and then it's you know, such an open ecosystem now. You know, can you write a workout in a spreadsheet and have it synced to Zwift? Yeah and have it run you through your workout on your treadmill. Well, you can with certain tools, but maybe not your spreadsheet. But still it happens. And and, and I'm just as surprised as you are when you see it at the Olympic level where those athletes, you know, they're competing for medals. Like they deserve the best of the best. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. And we go, we go the opposite direction too. You know, lots of coaches will rely on us to be that interface to the athlete, but then they can export the data and, cross-reference it or slice and dice it however they want in, you know, WKO on, you know, our desktop product or that, that you can pretty much do anything you want with the spreadsheet is in WKO. So, and it syncs seamlessly, you know, whenever you open it up. So that, that's really, you know, again, if certainly training peaks does not have every single report in the world. So our solution for that was a desktop product WKO. Um, but then you can export from there one by one and do your Excel spreadsheets as well. We, we even have, you know, for, uh, we don't offer it to every coach, but we definitely have national teams that are using API. Um, they're ex- exporting the data, data, you know, daily cross-referencing it with medical records, right. Um, right. even travel records. You know, I mean, they have athletic management, athlete management systems that we tie into, um, so we see those are other partners behind the scenes that people don't see, um, whereby data is flowing into an athlete management system and then national team doctors can access the data as well um, in a secure 
you know, process. Yeah. It, 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 like I was saying earlier, I've always, I'm really baffled at the national team level across the world, right? With all these NGBs that are still stuck in, you know, spreadsheets and Word documents. But you also see that permeated down at the consumer level as, as well, right? We're here in Boulder. There's probably, how many coaches are within a 30 mile radius of us yeah. right now? Yeah. You guys know Easy. that. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of people with private coaching business, more than 100, 200? Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Just, just within yeah. right. a 20 mile radius of where we're sitting Definitely. right now. And some of those coaches are not on any technology platform, right? Yeah, absolutely. And big name coaches, yeah. But yeah, and I actually think <clears throat> that it's more befuddling in that situation when you're doing it as a living and you're leveraged to what you can charge and how many athletes you can work with, essentially. Because the technology, irrespective of whether it's yours or somebody else's, streamlines the entire process, not only is good is better for the end user. I think we can both agree on that, right? The, the, the information that you can glean utilizing the technology is going to make your athletes better. Yeah. But also from a business perspective, I was there 15 years ago using spreadsheets and Word documents. And I'd pull my hair out trying to trying to manage it all. So I, I don't know if like you have any like reaction to it on the like the consumer side. Well, it tends to be, you know, you're an open platform type of coach or mm -hmm. it's you know if it's not built here that's not worthwhile you know that it you, you kind of in one camp or the other um so if, if it's not if you're in the camp of it's not built here then there's not much you can do unless they get a concrete example of that they can really relate to and and you know take advantage of um you know it's not only in the you just described for profit but you know you have the collegiate yeah um we now have i mean you can see right over the hillside there in Niwot High School and their state, first time ever they've been state champions in men's and women's um, high school cross country as of like two weeks ago. The women are ranked sixth in the nation. They're going to the Nike Nationals or whatever it is in five weeks. But like all 80 plus kids are on training peaks. Yeah, um, awesome. And it's, that's not a for-profit business, but it's a coach that has a winning mentality and they think, how, how can I win? Not every athlete is managed to the same degree as the top, you know, top five girls. Um, but you know, those top five athletes have mandated that you know the coach wants access to your data, and they want to the do the best job for you programming wise, um, even in the off season. And so we're seeing you know schools kind of get on board too because it, it gives them an advantage. How many high schools have that in play, right? Yeah, right. And right. you know, we have. So you're, you're starting to see that as well at the collegiate level, you know, University of Utah, Nordic team on training peaks, but it can really help them spot talent as well. If an athlete pings the coach and is interested in going to the University of Utah, it's like the coach can respond and say, hey, why don't you start using training peaks and tracking your data? So, you know, later on, we might be able to like make sense of it. Yeah. You know, it's not just race results and your times, it's what went into it. And do we see your capabilities to go beyond your current race times, but you know, what lies within your training and have you been training smart or not? Can we really find efficiencies in your training? Um, that's where these platforms can really help, you know, all coaches. Do you know what the compliance over at the high school is? I don't, but they've really adopted it. That's I mean, cool. I had a, that's really cool. You know, I had a girl that's not in the top 10 on the team, but she absolutely just loves it. She, you know, gets the programming mm -hmm. and she can see what she's doing, plan versus actual, and it keeps her motivated. Um, and then they even have an off-season program that, you know, that's a different coach, but, yeah. you know, they leverage training peaks. Um, so it's really a holistic kind of view of how can we, you know, really make sense of it all and, and make the best choices possible, you know, mm -hmm. on the athlete's behalf. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the recent endurance coaching summit that you guys yeah. had here, uh, you and I had this conversation afterwards and I, I made a deliberate attempt just to tell you how, I'm, how impressed Thanks. I was with that. Yeah. It was, and my perspective on it is, is I've been to these things ad nauseum for years. You guys coaching summit stuff of, over at the Olympic training center, USA cycling, the NGBs, USA track and field, USA triathlon. I've kind of done all the rounds as a participant and also as a, as a presenter. So I've got a good, I've got a good landscape of it all. 
every single time I've ever been to any one of those, I've been moderately to extremely disappointed across kind of two facets. <laughs> the, fir- the first facet is the quality of the information. And I, I don't know, it, that sounds a little of bit arrogant. No, 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 no. The, the other ones that I've okay. been to. The first one is the, <laughs> Thank you. is the quality of the information that, that's, that's presented. And even when I've gone to some of the things at the, at the training center, which you would think mm-hmm. they've got the best and the brightest, for whatever reason, they just dumb the quality of the info down. And then the second thing, and this, the, I'm not going to make a lot of friends with this comment, and I'm okay with that, is the quality of the attendees. Oh, I've, I've always come away with those things just utterly disappointed in the knowledge base, the professionalism, kind of a whole run of show with the coaches in attendance. This one that I just recently attended completely changed all of that across both of those aspects. And I've got my opinions on why that actually is, but I want to know from you guys' perspective, like how you orchestrated that because it was really awesome. I think number one, we think application first. Yes, science mm-hmm. backed, but we really want coaches to walk away with like, oh, that's something I can put in play tonight. Like right now, I'm emailing my athlete. So with every single one of our speakers, like what can you provide to the audience that's applicable to to these coaches? That's number one. I think we're also agnostic. So we don't play in the same sandbox, if you will. You know, if, if you're whatever, an NGB conference, you're only learning from kind of what you already know. You know, you're regurgitating a lot of the same ideas whereby we're trying to, we're trying to create an endurance coaching summit. You know, we, we did have the high school cross-country running coaches there, Nordic coaches, ski mountaineering. But yeah, the majority of it was triathlon and cycling, but we are trying to get that to a broader base so we can learn because no matter what sport you coach, you can learn something from a different sport. Um, so that's another part of it. I think it's the art, science, and business that yeah. somehow creates a recipe that thrives because um, you, you can bounce ideas off the scientists and how can we apply that. But really, that doesn't hold water in my business. You know, I can't ask my athlete to do it, $800, whatever test, you know, so... Mm-hmm. It, it, when you have those three components at play, art, science, and business of coaching, you do just really get to the meat and potatoes of what, you know, what can I take away from this? And there's a lot of great ideas that get generated. We want coaches to also learn from other coaches. It's a really big part of our philosophy is meet, learn, teach. That's kind of developed within our training peaks university, um, whereby you might be a competitor with this other coach, but we can share ideas and learn from each other, which elevates our profession and our service level for all. And it might bring in more athletes, you know, into seeing they're worthy of getting a coach. So, you know, we want to start those conversations at ECS and continue them. You know, we have ideas, how can we create more of a group that, that lasts beyond just the event so we can keep those conversations going. So yeah, look for ideas to be developed around that. I was just amazed the co- to, to speak to your last point, the coaches are good. Yeah. And I, I haven't said that in the endurance But all space. accepting, you don't have to be some, you know, I have Olympians and that's the only exactly. coach we accept. No, no, exactly. Know? And I loved having conversations with all, like all of the coaches that were there. So just for size and scope, like how many coaches were there? Well, we cap it at about 220. 220 coaches coach all different types of athletes. You yep. mentioned the high school athletes that are just across the hill, professional athletes, cyclists, runners, triathletes, trail yep. runners, all across the board. Yep. I Once again, this is one of the first um, professional conferences that I've attended where I got personally and professionally far more value out of discussing things with other coaches. And I was really enlightened by what they had to say it's one of the first experiences that I've had with that. What, like, why are the coaches that much better? Or is that just me having a warped perspective on it? Oh boy. I, I don't know. I mean, thank you. I, I don't know how, um, maybe it's the presenters that attract, you know, we have a broad array of presenters and authors. Um, so maybe they attract the right crowd. Um, also, you know, we alternate between the U S and Europe yeah. and, um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. We're, we're in London next November. Um, we've been in Boulder, you know, from the beginning. Um, 
so I, I can't really pinpoint the quality of the coaches and why, um, but it's cool. Yeah, thanks. I, I mean, once again, I'm in the space, yeah. right? And I could view that as, as, oh man, everybody's getting better. I'm going to get you know chunks of business taken out of whatever I'm doing. I look at it as good because good coaching is good for coaching. Yeah, maybe it's because these coaches also they've already bought into the concept that you've talked about in the past with tools and yeah. these ecosystems, and you know, it, it, it's a growth mindset. I think is where you, where you will find your best audience is if you have more folks that you know have this growth mindset that I can learn more I can not only learn more but teach others and that'll help me out um, so it's more of a community feel that might attract you know that type of, of coach um, where we do want to share ideas and it's not just the presenters it's yeah. It's in between sessions right. and it's the, we have round tables yep. where you just strike up conversations around a particular topic where you might have a, a leader at that round table, but you can all learn from each other. So we like that round table concept. So we see opportunity around that. Yeah. Half the round tables that I did, I would spend like two minutes on, you know, on point on presentation and the rest of it was just ad yeah. hoc stuff and it was way more valuable than whatever yeah. I had canned. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so anyway, cool. it was cool. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot to another topic since you're, you know, you're, you're, you guys are heavily embedded in technology and you mentioned earlier, like part of what you try to do is make the coach more efficient and what's been creeping up more and more across all industries, not just service industries is like this emergence of somewhere in between big machine learning and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And some of the practitioners in the space take that take that defensively, right. the machines are going to replace me yep. and other ones embrace it. And I wanted to know what your, what you guys at training peaks, what your perspective on that is, is because you guys will probably be the first to start to like wade into those waters or tow those lines. And I'm sure you have some, some perspective of, of how it's developing. Yeah. I alluded to this earlier, all that AI machine learning, should make the coach better or faster in the moment, make better decisions. The computer can make a decision to be accepted, denied, or edited, right, by the coach. So we always want to leave that final say up to the coach. But we also want that whatever ends up looking like, we want it to have the brain of that coach's own methodology. There are hundreds of different types of methodologies, if you will, out there. We won't all make the same decision of what to do tomorrow for the same athlete, right? Um, so we want to incorporate that coach's methodology into the decision-making process. There is not a training peaks way of training. So there is not a training peaks bot, you know, that we are creating. We are creating an underlying engine that we can plug and play different personas, different methodologies. Um, so that's the direction we're taking. The very first project that's actually live right now <clears throat> that we produce is uh, an app in the App Store called Run With Hal. So it's not under the Training Peaks brand. We did it in coordination with Hal Higdon, uh, running coach. And so that is our first kind of foray into this new world, if you will. But the end game is to get it into training peaks to enable to empower all of our coaches to become better, faster, more efficient. It's not at all to replace the coach. Um, <clears throat> it's You can also think of it as the next generation of training plans. You know, training plans today are static. They don't adapt. They suck. I can they tell don't, you that. I can't, yeah, they don't they take suck. into account that you're on vacation for three days next week yeah. and can't swim or whatever it might be. <clears throat> so, you know, we want to up the game on training plans, which will eventually up the game on making the coach more efficient. Can you elaborate on the run with Hal program? Are you allowed to? Or is yeah, it, I mean, okay. it's, it's in the marketplace. Oh, it's already out. Yeah, it's already yeah, out. Yeah. Okay, so public. why don't you describe like what it, like what it actually does? Like, okay, to the, like what is the end user going to... Yeah, go ahead and cough. <sighs> Dirk stabbed himself with his cross country pole this weekend. So yeah, he's been grimacing the entire. I have time. some uh, sore, banged up ribs, um, <laughs> and um, it, so it's. Uh, I believe it's like nine dollars a month. You can start for free with it. Plug in any distance race, um, you know, up to a marathon. 
um, plug in multiple races, put in those race dates, your current fitness level. Do you have a, a 5K time, a 10K time, et cetera? How many hours do you have available? When do you want to do your long run? You know, the basics. Um, that will basically create a, a custom training plan for you. And that's static. That's in the free mode. Here you go. It's better than a training plan because it actually took into account more inputs. If you pay, then it'll become adaptive. Did you do today's workout? Yes or no? If you <laughs> did not, it's going to change future workouts. Um, it will start to account for your actual um, performance of those workouts, right? So we can start to layer in more and more intelligence into it. Right now, it's very elementary, you know, binary. Did you do the workout or not? That's a whole lot better than a current training plan, right? Um, but it's a place where we can experiment and get feedback um, outside of the Training Peaks brand. Um, but it's all driven through APIs. It can be served up into any app or website, right? Somehow, so, somehow I'm imagining an elaborate flowchart on somebody's <laughs> whiteboard with all these if it's optimization statements. engine. <laughs> I'm sure it's more um, sophisticated than that, but that's I mean, the way that's I would do if, it. Essentially, what Best Bike Split is, yeah. you know, and it's it's mathematical modeling coming up with the optimal, you know, um, a workout to do given all these restraints and your goal. Um, and it, again, it it can get more and more sophisticated. You just simply add more and more inputs into it, you know. So that's going to ev- eventually end up within training peaks and empowering all of our coaches to be become better, faster, smarter. Wow. That's cool. So yeah, we believe in the human coach in our lifetime. The best experience will always be to work with an experienced good coach um, that can balance the art and science. We, we realize the machine's not going to take into account that stress level that it doesn't see, right? Uh, or all the other million other factors that come into play that you have to account for as a coach. Um, but we can make the coach still even even better um, and crunch a lot of numbers mm-hmm. on their behalf. So, so we both had this experience where we've worked with coaches and we've worked with athletes through you know several transitions, right? One was the transition where all you all you had was an in person coach. Right, I, I, I coached yeah. where I, I coached the youth track and field team, where that's what it was—an in-person coach. And then we used snail mail, and then we used fax machines, mm-hmm. and then devices started to be able to become downloaded, and you could transfer those files to your coach, and your coach could read it. Might might have taken seven steps or whatever. Then all those files could be harnessed, and remote-based endurance coaching became a thing. And now we're kind of staring in the face of where the technology can start to forecast, predict, and aid the coach in what they're doing day to day. What's next? What's 20 years from now? Yeah, forecasting. I mean, we want the coach to spend less time on the computer. We'd like the athlete to spend less time on the computer. It, it should just be kind of coming to you and help help guide you. Um, but the coach is overseeing that. So I don't know what it 100% it looks like, but big data definitely plays a part of this. <clears throat> you know, we we should be able to leverage our data set to make the coach smarter because right now the coach has a data set of more or less one. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but we have other athletes that have done that event, look like that athlete, what are lessons learned from that athlete um, or not that one athlete, but let's say, you know, 5,000 athletes that might look like that, that have done that event over the last 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. Collecting all that and empowering um, the coach with that, that insight um, is definitely going to happen in the next 20 years. So that's exciting stuff to think about. It's not replacing the coach, making the coach better, Um, making the athlete faster at the end of the day, right? So Somehow it's going to morph and take into account that, but I'm not sure what it'll look like. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a hard. I know it's a hard question to answer, but like I said, we've seen these. We've seen. We've definitely seen several key inflection points that I just mentioned earlier. Yeah, and I think we're almost at the cusp of an of another one that's able to either harness big data or be able to. And I always hate using the word AI because I don't think yeah, it's applicable in, in this situation. You always able to forecast in right? these inflection points, you always have the resistance. You, you end up having the early adopters, right? 
and that's going to happen again. You're going to have the resistance of like, right. oh, this is a machine's going to take over my value prop, you know, and then you, early adopters that will help guide that, you know, um, and what that looks like. So that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, to see how it all all develops. But I mean, rest assured, we're here to work with the coach and not replace them because um, we truly believe that that's the best way to go is with a coach, you know, and not just leave it up to X's and O's. <laughs> for, sure, for sure. And that's, you know, it's always been true so that, you know, oftentimes people in the past thought Training Peaks was only for remote coaching. But then when you had Training Peaks within an environment, even at the Olympic Training Center, coaches realized, oh, I do manage the workouts every single day with these athletes, but they're putting stuff in their training logs that they won't say in front of their teammates, you know, and they're getting more insights and then, and they can see that in the holistic view. So even if you are with your athlete every single day and think, you know, it all, well, what did they do December 12th, you know, three years ago? Yeah. Uh, can you remember that? Well, how do, that might have relevance to this December 12th of this year. Right. Um, so it can do, it can play, um, it's, it kind of gives you some insights and it's, it's that art, art of coaching, which is always going to be a, a part yeah. of the equation as well. You know, at our, our trail running camps, we do a demo. That's one of the pieces of programming, mm. pieces of programming that we do where it's, it's in all honesty, it's a hook to get people into remote based endurance coaching with us. So we have athletes that come to our camps that are both coached by us and then athletes that are not coached by us. And we try to convert them into coaching because we feel the same way, right? That's the best path to success. And we've learned over the course of years that if we do this really simple demo, it's extremely illuminating. And that demo revolves around two pieces. It's the first one is, is we take the run for the day and one of our coaches just breaks the file down. This yeah. is what I do with every single file, with every single athlete, every single day. These are the things that I look at. And the second part of that demo is, here's how that file fits into the context of what the athlete has done previously yeah. and is going to do towards the future. And the whole thing takes maybe 20 minutes, yeah. right? Which is right. enormous. That's, that's, that's a really long time to actually go through that. But from a demo perspective, it takes about 20 minutes and you almost see like the light bulbs go off for the athletes that track their training. They don't track their training at all or track it in a spreadsheet or just use Strava or just use Garmin Connect or something like that. They look at it and they go, oh, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah, you know, obviously most of our customer base comes from, you know, a Garmin Connect or a Strava or some other, either out of the box with your device or or the the social media type, you know, offerings out there. Um, but the reason you come to Training Peaks is when you have committed, You've, you know, kind of committed to this, this goal that's, that's out there on the horizon. It's kind of scary. It's date sensitive. Um, and you ask yourself, well, what is the best thing to do tomorrow? And that's where you tend to then graduate to Training Peaks, either as a self-coached athlete that's now experimenting and trying to make sense of their data and seeing where it's taking them forecasted into the future or you know they now find a training plan or a coach but it's when they make that commitment and they ask themselves what should i do tomorrow to make the most of that event that's where you you know step up the training peaks if you will well the, the data that you get is so good now i actually build my training programs not as far into the future as i did when the data wasn't as good. Mm. So when the data wasn't as good, I could build three, four, six weeks out. Right. And, you know, I wasn't getting like the, like the intimacy of the feedback, right? The intricacies of the feedback to like modify what was going to go on tomorrow, the next day and the day after that. But now the insights are so illuminating because the, the way that you can capture the data is so easy. And then what you can do with it is you can drill down to such a finite level yeah. that I, it's very rare that I build more than like two yeah. weeks out. And right. even then out of that 14 days, I might modify three or four of them just yeah. as things go along. Again, you might have three athletes training for the very same event that kind of are similar, but they're going to be unique, you know, and totally, it really comes down to how are you adapting to that unique individual, yeah. you know, that's going to produce the best results. Yeah. And that's why it's, yeah, it's more the short term kind of planning that you can, adjust, you know, yeah. along the way. 
Well, I've always thought that that's the, the individualization component is the biggest thing that athletes that either aren't using a coach or aren't using a coach that harnesses the tools that are missing out on. Because as you know, like coaching, we blend best practices with the individual of the, like the individual nature, the individual tendencies of the athlete. Yeah. And if you have a static training program, you're getting best practices. Yeah. And that's good, but you're missing half of the equation. And that's why I, I kind of flippantly say that they suck is because I know the second half of the equation isn't quite there because you're getting a 10K running program that, that you can probably improve with, right? For a lot of athletes but it's missing one whole side of how you would actually coach somebody properly. And that's the individual side. Yeah. And the last couple of years I had a coach and it's really that adaption piece that really helped me out the most because of the work-life balance, the family. Yep. Oh yeah. I can't train three days next week. I'm in New York city. How do I adjust? Well, static plan is not going to, yep. you know, help me out there, but the coach can really give me insights on how to prepare for that vacation yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> as well as how to m maybe make up for it or not. You know, I mean, I may not need to make up for it. It may be a good thing. Um, and then the injuries along the way and there's this, the insights and the, uh, the experience level, you know, and I'm taking up a new sport, you know, in the last five years. So it's, it's great to be able to have those insights. You're a badass at that new sport too. <laughs> National champion. Well, it, it's yeah. nice in a niche sport where there's not a whole, there's fewer, <laughs> fewer athletes and that's worth than ultra running. So I love, <laughs> I love it. You have a coach here. I've had uh, Scott Johnston at uphill athlete. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, very good. So yeah, you know, it's been, it was a, a, a great experience to kind of like, yeah, my goal is, you know, to become national champion. And I, and I did, and you know, you did. and, but it took a lot of effort and I'm like, I'm sort of in the state now where I, I want to kind of really enjoy it a little bit more right now. It not have all that stress of every single day. Can I win national championship? Now it's like, you know, I'm trying to like sit back and enjoy it a little bit more. Um, so you kind of as an athlete ebb and flow into commitment level. I'm absolutely committed to doing basically the same race schedule, mm -hmm. but can I, pull it back a little bit in terms of the, the full throttle commitment to it. Right. Um, but I'm definitely going to go out there and enjoy the day. I love it. It's so yeah. authentic, right? I mean, you practice I may be 30 finish. minutes slower, but yeah, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to put a pin in it. Yeah. I got one last final question for you. Uh oh, doozy. Yeah, this is going to be a doozy. So you could wave a magic wand and do anything that would ultimately help athletes out the most within your realm of expertise. What would that be? Uh, just to have them run into somebody they trust and can really be open with, you know, in their life that can give them a few insights that really reap big rewards. So it's about, if I were to wave a wand, it's more about empowering people that to, to find that person they can trust and be really tr truly open and authentic with and get, the hard feedback from as well because it's that hard feedback that sometimes you really need that honest feedback and you couldn't quite see it yourself that's going to really help you break through and become the athlete that you want to be i love that i love that it's not a technology piece and it's a human piece <laughs> that's really cool yeah i think at the end of the day you know it's more about i've always thought of myself as trying to empower people to reach their potential you know in my unique way that i can help out start was as a coach and now it's through technology, but <clears throat> you know, that technology should be a ubiquitous part of the whole process, not the focus, Sweet. right? It's just a, a, a one component. Cool. Thanks Dirk. Yeah. I really appreciate you. it. Thanks Coop. Where can uh, people find you guys? Well, I mean, training peaks, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. I mean, I'm, I'm just Dirk Friel, D I R K F R I E L at, Instagram. Um, I don't do Twitter a whole bunch, but love Instagram. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. All right, trail runners. What'd you think? You out there, you're going to upload your data to all of the different places you can upload your data to. It makes a big difference. And 
Um, I've been coaching long enough to where I, I've used, as I mentioned on the podcast, I've used spreadsheets, I've used Word documents, I've used the endemic software within each one of the devices like Moves Count or what was formerly Moves Count and Garmin Connect and even when SRM, which is a bike power meter, had their own endemic software. I've used all of those and, fi- and finally we just kind of come back to the de facto, the best one to use is, is, is Training Peaks. But I still realize that there are coaches and athletes out there that use all, you know, all different types of, um, uh, of, of methods to harness and to find detail within athletes training. And that's fine. I just think that the best one out there is training piece. I think it's a great, I think it's a great service. So I would encourage all of you guys to check it out. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation that I had with Dirk. I hope that you think about your training in a little bit of a different way. And I hope that you think about how you harness your training in a little bit of a different way, because I can tell you from experience, it does make an, ex- an, an an enormous difference if you can look at in the past what you've done over a, over years. And we talk, we we tried to illuminate this in the podcast. You get a lot of value for trying to track those trends over years and seeing what your strengths strengths and weaknesses are, and seeing what types of workouts that you actually adapt to. So I hope you think about that a little bit differently, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Big thanks to Dirk for being on the podcast. I like pausing saying Dirk. Big thanks to Dirk for being on, for being on the podcast and uh, uh, and helping going over some of these aspects. If you have anything to mention to me, you think it's a great episode, you think it's a poor episode, you want to hit me up on social media. I am on Twitter and on Instagram at Jason Coop. That's Coop spelled with the K. I'd love to hear from you guys. Love to hear for, I'd love to hear your feedback. And as always, we will see you on the trails. Mm-hmm.